0: I've spent the best part of three years trying to build my brand on social media. And let me tell you, it is a slog, a wonderfully challenging and hugely rewarding slog. There's a reason why so many people just post a couple of times and give up. It's hard work and there is no silver bullet to success. You have to show up every single day and provide value. But there are some shortcuts. And no, I'm not talking about buying followers. I'm talking about leveraging the hard-won wisdom of folks who have been there and done that. Well, I've got good news for you. My friends over at Transmission, the world's largest independent B2B agency and LinkedIn marketing partner, have created a resource that shares tips and tricks on building a LinkedIn audience based on their work with hundreds of B2B clients. It's called Hubbub, and it's packed full of playbooks, infographics, and expert-guided blogs across brand and content strategy, creative inspiration, and the LinkedIn Publishing Toolkit to help you create valuable High performing LinkedIn Marketing Experiences. Check it out by visiting wwwbitly forward slash B2B-better today. I'll drop a link in the description of this episode. Welcome to B2B Better, the podcast that exists to help companies rethink the status quo on how they win new business. My name's Jason and I run a strategic marketing advisory firm that helps companies selling bespoke solutions drive growth through their marketing. Each week, I sit down with industry experts to understand how marketing and sales is broken in their industry and what they're doing to fix it. Here we go. Most of my career, I've worked either as a solo marketer or in small teams, and usually in a period when a company is starting to build out the marketing function. And this is a really exciting time because it's a signal that the organization has found product market fit and they're willing to invest in the acceleration of their growth. But it's also a really frustrating time because as marketers, we want to do the big things. We want to be creative. We want to operate across as many channels as we can. But the budget and the bandwidth and the resources are usually shortcoming, at least until we can start to demonstrate the ways in which marketing can drive revenue and profitability for the organization. A couple of months ago, I was invited to attend SAS Stock in Dublin for the first time. And not only was I using it as an opportunity to learn from a load of amazing founders and marketers who were speaking on stage, I also wanted to go down onto the floor and hear it from the people in the trenches, these solo marketers, first-time marketers working in SaaS companies who were building out functions from scratch. And I did that. I interviewed around 10 to 12 uh, different marketers working in companies who are just getting their marketing off the ground and I asked all of them the same three questions. What is the scrappiest marketing activity that you've run? How did your company win its first 100 customers? And if your CEO called you up tomorrow and said that they were going to be tripling your budget, what would you spend it on? The answers that were given to me are hugely varied and they cover almost every uh, channel and tactic and strategic move that if you're a solo marketer or maybe a founder-led marketing team, uh, you've undoubtedly thought of. They also represent for me just how... Unique every single company is and what their go to market should be. Uh, there is no one size fits all silver bullet framework that can just be copied and pasted uh, across any organization. You know, you really need to look at your particular situation, your particular circumstance, and build a plan back from that. So what I've done is I've taken all the answers that were given to me by these amazing contributors and I've compiled them all into one episode. It's designed to be listened to much like you would approach a buffet, a breakfast, take a plate and just grab what takes your fancy. Uh, we're going to start with what I think is my favorite question to ask any business, which is how did you acquire your first customers? Here's our first guest.
1: Hi, uh, my name is Sandeep John. I'm the director of Demand Gen and Outplay. Uh, literally... And this is indirectly promoting our platform as well through outbound. Like it wasn't through inbound. It wasn't through anything. As first hundred customers was purely outbound. Of course, the initial set came through referrals, through people that we knew. And I think a lot of hustling happened with uh, the founder team reaching out to a bunch of folks and all of that. But even the SDR function that when it started out was predominantly just outbound. There was no inbound. It is literally, I think the inbound motion kind of started 10, 12 months ago. Uh, and we're seeing a lot of it. Today, it's a lot of inbound and outbound together. But then origin story, pure outbound, reaching out to ICPs, and then, of course, hustling, finding friends, people whom you knew want to use the product, give you feedback and whatnot.
0: This might be a little bit of a tough pill to swallow, but if you are the first marketer joining an organization, you may not be doing too much quote-unquote marketing to start out with. Likely, you'll be going into a situation where either the founders themselves, or a few early biz dev hires will just be pounding the phones, pounding cold emails in order to get those first customers through the door. And it can be a little bit jarring if as a marketer you're walking in and you're saying, right, we're going to start creating all this content. We're going to be developing an inbound marketing machine. We're going to be doing brand. We're going to be doing community. We're going to be doing social. Instead, get those early wins if there already is a moving sales motion that's generating results, perhaps see how you can accelerate those efforts, how you can augment the efforts of a sales team through outbound. Can you develop sales enablement collateral? Can you look at developing automated sequences? Can you even just look at the email messaging that they're using and find ways to tie it up? That can be just as valuable as creating a piece of high quality lead gen content or going to an event or, you know, creating a great PR campaign in the early days. So I thought this was a really great insight from Sandeep because it reminded me that sometimes it's just about figuring out what's already working and how can you make it better versus trying to build something up from scratch. Here's our next guest.
2: So my name is Marie Moynihan. I'm the CMO at Zeit. So Zeit was built on the back of open source. And our founder, Shane Evans, um, created Scrapey, which is an open source framework where your, you know developers can build their extraction code on. And so he then built on top of that products and tools to enable further development. So our 100, first 100 customers most definitely came from our open source community. Our products were built on top of the open source framework. So. You know, um, the framework is there to help you build the code, and then you might need like a proxy solution to help you access data, say, in different geos. If you, you know, if you're looking um, or to get into certain sites, and so it was very easy then for them to come and say, "Well, what's integrated into this whole framework?" Oh, you know, smart proxy manager from Zyte. So it was just a natural progression, easy for them as well to like host their spiders or their code on Scrapey Cloud, so it all just connected and was easy for them. I think that's the key, right, to this new buzzword product-led growth, but that was like 10 years ago, but that's what it was, right? You create things for people, make it easy for them, and they'll adopt your technology.
0: This example from Marie really drives home the importance of building an audience. And I'm not going out there and saying that every B2B company needs to be a media company which is becoming somewhat of a cliche I think on LinkedIn and and a kind of other online marketing circles but investing in creating highly valuable collateral well in advance perhaps even of you launching a business or developing a product or going to market with a solution can be a really effective way of building yourself out a soft landing. I think about myself, right, and B2B Better. Now I'm running this strategic marketing advisory firm that helps B2B solution providers turn their marketing into a profit driver. But for three years before I even went into business, I was doing this podcast, B2B Better, which was talking about the pain points that my future potential clients face. So when I decided to actually take the leap and start the business, I already had a invested audience and invested community around me that I could reach out to and who ultimately became some of my very first clients. Now, it does require a little bit of foresight, a little bit of you know forward thinking um, and planning. And I'm not going to lie, it takes a lot of work to build and sustain a community, but If you are looking for a cheat code around getting some of those early wins, those early clients through the door, without having to rely on a ton of cold outbound emails and and calls, then investing in that community in some capacity is a great way to do that. Here's our next guest.
3: So my name is Alan Fitzsimons. I'm the marketing manager for the EMEA region for our company called Maxio. So predominantly, their their initial market was North America um, and two powerhouse teams and um, in terms of two different businesses so yeah they've got a really strong uh, focus in relation to particularly around their icp so not casting a wide net and trying to get a bit of ROI higgledy piggledy, like being really specific about doing their 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 r&d correctly around who are their icp do they fit their products and services do we add value to the customer so a lot of effort and research went in with those two brands and even with Maxio now, um, our ICP, we're on the money. We don't want to waste the company's time. We don't want to ma- waste our prospect's time. You know, if it's a fit, if it's a fit, if it's a not a fit, maybe look at some alternatives or down the line, um, we might be a fit for that company. But yeah, really focusing on strategically around our ICP.
0: I love this advice from Alan because it is so simple and it makes so much sense, but So many B2B companies struggle to do it. Pick an ICP, one ICP, and just double down your marketing and sales efforts on getting in front of that particular customer profile. Uh, What you often see is this urgency to just get in front of as many different account types, verticals, buyer personas as possible. Uh, And particularly when you sell solutions, because they are inherently custom and bespoke, you're building something to solve an individual client's problems, which means that the total addressable market you can go after can potentially be massive. But when you do try and be all things to all people all the time, all you ultimately end up doing is diluting the potency and the effectiveness of whatever effort you do put in. It is far better, even if it doesn't feel Better. It is far better in the short term to just really be laser focused. Uh, after doing some research uh, on getting in front of a particular ICP, what is an ICP? What's it made up of? There are plenty of resources online that can help you build out a ICP document. But generally speaking, the things that you want covered in there are: what industry are you going after? Uh, what geography are you targeting? What part of the world? What is the kind of size of the company that you're going after, how much are they willing to spend, what's their budget, uh, some details around their buying process, who are the main decision makers, what does the buying committee look like, um, what are the pain points that they're experiencing, and the buying triggers that compel them to go out there and look for a solution. Um, You can also go into what are their business goals, um, what are the technologies that they use. And uh, what are the kind of channels that they're looking uh, into to try and find a solution? Um, so those you know, 10 things are generally what I look at when I'm building out an ICP. You can go deeper. Um, but just having a one-pager that can help align marketing sales, customer success, and the entire company on, okay, for this period of time, here is who we're going after. Here's who we should be targeting all of our efforts towards uh, can be a really great way of providing focus. Finally, we go over to the VP of Marketing at Storyblock.
3: So my
4: name is Thomas. Storyblock acquired its first 100 customers in 2017 through Organic. Um, if you would Google headless CMS back then, you would find Storyblock among the top-ranked um, blog articles written by our founders. And that would help us um, get the first 100 customers. Simple Simple content marketing at the end of the day. Be valuable to the content and let people explore your product in a self-service kind of motion.
0: I included this answer because what Thomas is suggesting is very simple. And sometimes I feel overlooked. When we live in a world where every time you log on to LinkedIn, there is a new quote-unquote silver bullet tactic being flogged as the way to solve B2B marketing. It can be easy to just fall into this rabbit hole of wanting to try these weird and wonderful and wacky ideas. But at the end of the day, marketing at an early stage company should be kept simple. It's really just three steps. Research your customers, create content that speaks to their pain points, and distribute it in the channels where they're spending time. This is not meant to sound blasé. It's not meant to be that anyone can do marketing. That's just not true. But there is power in focus, and there's power in simplicity. So if you're at ground zero in building out a strategy... Take a leaf out of Storyblocks book, go back to the fundamental and just focus on creating good shit. Now we're gonna move on to the second question, which was what is the scrappiest marketing campaign that my guests have run? But before we do that, here's another word from our sponsor, Transmission. I'm a firm believer that something is broken within an organization if marketing is expected to simply take orders from the sales team. But I also believe that it's the responsibility of every marketing function to help their sales colleagues sell better. Because the reality is that successful modern day selling in B2B is built on marketing best practices, storytelling, reciprocity, authenticity. One of the most successful campaigns that I've run in my career was helping my colleagues in sales develop their executive thought leadership profiles on LinkedIn. Three people with a collective audience of under 4,000 followers got 200% more engagement than our brand account, which had 25,000 followers over six months. People buy from people. It's cliche, but it's true. So how do you build out an executive thought leadership program? Head over to Hubub, a content and creative inspiration hub by Transmission, the world's largest independent B2B marketing agency and LinkedIn marketing partner, and pick up their free playbook. It teaches you how to prepare your colleagues for the spotlight, get comfortable creating content consistently, and how to optimize your profile to catch buyer attention. I highly recommend checking it out. Just head over to bit.ly forward slash b2b dash better and upskill yourself today i'll drop the link in the description of this episode now back to our interview
5: so i'm ben Mitkovic. i'm a co-founder of superlink
0: ben's going to tell us the scrappiest marketing campaign that his companies run
5: so i think in very early days uh, obviously we want to work with people who build products right so we went to a bunch of conferences to find those people but we didn't have the funding to actually take a booth or advertising or get all of those flyers around uh, so we, we printed some stickers gave it to people sticked it in, in, in very strategic places left it at coffee tables networking places etc to get some leads get some brand exposure and awareness That's probably the scrappiest one we we ever did
0: it's difficult to measure the ROI of strategically placed stickers around a exhibition hall. But then again, it's also difficult to measure the ROI of brand. The crux of the concept that Ben highlights here is a really good one. How can we hijack attention? When you go to a big exhibition or a conference, it can be really hard to stand out, particularly in the early days when you don't have the budget to hire a big booth or take a keynote speaking slot. So getting creative, thinking outside of the box to make something out of nothing is usually the only road open to you. It reminds me of a conversation that I had with Kyle Lacey, who's the current chief marketing officer at Octopus. And he was telling me a little bit about his time when he worked at Lessonly, a company renowned for its B2B brand campaigns. And they worked on this amazing project called the Golden Llama which essentially were these tiny ceramic llamas spray painted gold and sent to key prospects and customers in their CRM. A really simple idea activated relatively cheaply in the grand scheme of things, but something that generated millions of dollars in pipeline and hundreds of thousands of dollars in close one revenue, purely off the back of a piece of creative that got people energized and excited. I actually just interviewed Carl on this campaign. So if you want the full backstory on the Golden Llamas, you can find it a few episodes after this one. Now we go to our next guest.
6: So my name is Heather. I work in growth marketing at Froggets.
0: Heather's not going to tell us about a specific campaign or initiative that she's run that's been particularly scrappy, but instead how she instills scrappiness into her work as a whole.
6: But I think for me, this was... My first ever mentor kind of helped me with this phrase, and it's the phrase steal with pride. So the idea of that, you know, nowadays, is, it's not an original idea. You know, everybody's thought of something at some point. So the way I kind of work is to, to directly look at what the competition is doing, whether that be content, repurposing, or what channels they're on. or You know, it's like the, the Burger King McDonald's, you know, that kind of a scenario. And, and essentially just taking what your competitors do and then just doing it even better. Um that's, that's kind of the way I, I like to work with companies.
0: There's nothing wrong with, let's say, being shamelessly inspired by your contemporaries in B2B, or indeed looking outside of B2B at B2C and D2C to find inspiration that you can inject into your work. There is no such thing as an original idea. If you try something, odds are someone else has walked the path in front of you. And it's actually kind of liberating when you accept this because it means that you can take ideas guilt-free and find ways to mold them to fit your specific circumstances. I think about the company Vilpay. They are a Finnish manufacturer of roofing equipment and they work in a very traditional sector, white papers, events, PR, you know, these are the kind of typical activities that Uh, They themselves have been running, and indeed their competitors have been running for years, if not decades. That's until early last year when their marketing team looked to TikTok and tried to think about ways in which they could leverage the platform to get in front of their prospective customers. They started like many TikTok accounts do, which is by using trending music and sounds to try and get their videos to go viral or to at least get them onto the For You page of a larger audience. And only through constant experimentation and a really high cadence of publishing content did they eventually find their voice. And to this day, they've managed to rack up over 100,000 followers Uh, on their account. The beautiful thing about marketing and advertising is that we are bombarded with it both as consumers and B2B professionals on almost a daily basis. So trying to find inspiration isn't hard if you look closely enough. But what is difficult is keeping track of all of these ideas and potential sources of inspiration. What I suggest you do is create a swipe file and this could be something like a Google Doc or it could be an Evernote folder or it could even just be a pocket account. And every time you see something that inspires you or it's a piece of creative or an idea that you want to try out potentially at some point in the future, just save the link. And before you know it, you'll have a resource that you can turn to every time you're stuck in a creative rut. Here's our final guest for this question. Um,
4: my name is Navas Ravi Chandran, and I head marketing for SpendFlow. Uh, one is a lot of us host these happy hours at uh, a lot of um, events and things like that. So we were um, Saster happened uh, in September 2022, and we had like an event pre-event uh, pre Saster on like let's say if Saster was starting on Tuesday, we had an event that started began that happened on Monday evening we wanted a lot of people to grab attention about it. And we noticed on Tuesday evening, there were like 12 parallel events and people are also getting confused of which event to go to. So what we did was the team just on the, uh, like quickly, we compiled all the list of happy hours that were just happening. And we put it out with the, um, like we, we call it Saster happy hours, right? Like, I mean, this, uh, I mean, like enabled it for search. And what started happening was a lot of people who were showing up uh, prior to the event and who were researching which event to go to, what's happening around the city and everything, they were looking at um, this blog, right? Like this blog started getting a lot of traction and everyone was like, actually, uh, they, they started registering for our event and we were actually ordering it based on the uh, order. I mean, the, uh, the, the the time in which the events were happening and surprisingly, ours was first, right? So I kind of had, it, had mine first and followed by a lot of other events. And we we got like about 4,000 views and about 120 people registered for our event as well. And the good thing, the good thing, the other good thing is we had a booth at Saster. and a lot of people who came to the booth actually thanked me for the the blog that we did. So zero zero cost, uh, super low effort, but and actually it helped a lot of. So the other thing that also happened was a lot of the SaaS. Um, other, other SaaS companies that did Happy Hearts came and tagged me saying, yeah, a lot of people saw your blog and came to my party. So it, it felt good, yeah.
0: I really love this idea because it talks to the power of curation rather than creation. Sometimes as marketers, we get wrapped up in this desire to just constantly create new and original content. And as we've already said, no idea is original. It's just packaged up in different ways. but In any case, being the go-to resource that pulls together all the other amazing resources that you can find online can be a really powerful position to place yourself in. In fact, you may be doing this already. Uh, It reminds me of my time working as an in-house marketing director for an enterprise solutions company. And one of my tasks every week, or that of my team, was to pull together an internal newsletter where we curated and compiled all of the interesting news stories that were coming out of our space in any given week. And this was sent out to our leadership team and to our sales team as a means of equipping them with the knowledge that they needed to go out there and speak with confidence to prospects and customers and to partners. And one day it struck us, we were putting all this effort into creating a highly curated premium piece of internal content It wasn't that much of a lift to reposition it as an external newsletter. And almost overnight, we saw a massive uptick in the consumption of our weekly newsletter because our audience viewed it as a highly valuable piece of collateral. It was one less task they had to worry about every single week, figuring out what stories were actually interesting and what stories were just corporate PR drivel. So what's the takeaway from this? Don't underestimate the power of curation. A final question for this podcast episode is a fun one. Um, and it is if my guest's marketing budget was somehow magically tripled overnight, what would they decide to spend it on? We're going to take this one a little bit like a rapid fire and we're going to start off with Ben, who you heard earlier.
5: So, so again, for us, it's really about building the awareness. So it would be creating materials, right? Uh, white papers, maybe some engagement playbooks, etc., but also running some webinars, some trade shows, presenting in shows like that to, to explain to people that, look, we are now in the age of TikTok, right? If you don't capture the user attention in the first five seconds, they are gone, right? So that's what we need to bring out there, educate the users. And we are pretty confident that they will come for us for the solution.
0: And next we go to Heather.
6: I would spend it on, on product marketing. I would, first of all, I would hire somebody specifically for product marketing. I feel like the start of life is typically everybody's stretched in, but I would invest specifically in product marketing and product marketing tools to, you know, to to also steer into this product-led growth, customer-centric product-led growth um, trend. But it's true that, you know, you get more clients that can, self on board and be more self sufficient within your tool, the likely the more likely they are to stay, right? So I think yeah, investing in, in those tools and those people that can can help you see the value immediately when they sign up to a product.
0: Then we head back over to Marie.
2: So it's connected, right? I would double down on community. And we um, have a really good reputation within the open source community. We continue to be the main lead maintainers. You know, all of our developers are given open source hours, right? Like we think it's really important that they're, we're continually contributing to that community. Um, but I saw a few talks here and I love like community, we feel would definitely be our moat. Like we see a lot of competitors, but they wouldn't have the same reputation within the developer community. So I would like definitely double down on community. And we're out there now like trying to hire developer advocates. And it's interesting. I don't know if anyone else has tried to hire a developer advocate. Their first question is probably, why am I sitting in marketing? You know, because it's just not natural for them. Um, And I keep saying the reason you're here is that, you know, community is a marketing activity. I don't want to, you don't have to do any marketing. That's not why we're hiring you but we can help you enable the community, right? And so, um, yeah, it's working out right now, whether you know, they'll continue to sit in marketing or not, but it's, um, it's tough, actually, trying to hire developer advocates because they're an um, absolute unicorn, right, in that they are super, super smart, and they also like talking to people and want to educate and communicate, and so it's trying to find those. But that's where I would definitely spend if I was uh, given unlimited budget.
0: And to close us off, we hear from Sandeep and Navas, who gave similar, but probably my favorite answers.
1: Brand. Hands down. right? I mean, of course, I would love to spend it on interesting marketing tech that can help me measure different aspects of what I'm doing in brand. But really, I would take the lion's share and put it in brand. I can never underestimate the power of brand. Again, I'd, I'd also be very cautious about that. Like, I, I don't want to go and blow like a million, I don't know what, the, what I'm going to get, but let's assume that... I get like a million, I'm going to blow all of that and running some crazy brand campaign and like hire entire buildings and all. No, not that. I'm saying, uh, I'm being smart about how you put brand out. i give you classic examples of companies I love what they do on YouTube, Monday.com, ClickUp, I love their, Lucia, uh, their entire brand campaign online on, on the whole digital space is super powerful, right? And I would do something like that. I would really try to focus on things like that and shoot live videos for that, but Basically, I would try and do a lot more of that because I'm a true believer that brand drives demand. You can't ignore that. I mean, there's only so much you can do with scaling your keywords, there's so much you can do from an SEO perspective. Same with this, right? And yeah, I would focus a lot on brand.
0: And here's Navas.
1: So, probably I'd, I'd, I'd do a
4: little more investment in brand uh, to our right, ICP, so that when probably the, the hope, or the, from a good marketer standpoint, when the, when the person, when, when your SDR calls up, um, like your prospect, it shouldn't be like, hey, we're SpendFlow and we do this, right? It should be more of SpendFlow, we we'll love to talk. Right? Like if we're able to avoid what SpendFlow does, that's, that's what marketing should have ideally done. And I think if that happens, I'd be happy.
0: And that's it for this episode of B2B Better. If you enjoyed what you heard, it would mean the world to me if you left a rating or a review or both in your podcast directory of choice. I also run a strategic marketing advisory firm called B2B Better, where we offer fractional CMO services, marketing audits, marketing sprints, and coaching and mentoring for B2B solution providers who are looking to reorient their marketing towards revenue. See you next time.